Welcome to the O'Reilly Data Show. I'm your host, Ben Lorica. Before we jump into today's episode, I want to remind our listeners that we do have two event series that they can go and attend and learn more about the topics covered in this podcast. The first one is called the Strata Data Conference, which you can find at strataconf.com. The second one is the Artificial Intelligence Conference, which you can find at the AIConf.com. This episode marks our 100th episode. So this podcast stemmed out of video interviews I conducted at O'Reilly's 2014 Food Camp and uh, quickly realized that podcasts were a better form factor than uh, video interviews. So to mark this milestone, my colleague Paco Nathan, who is co-chair of JupyterCon, turned the tables on me and asked me questions about history of this uh, podcast. In particular, we looked at the evolution of some of the key topics we cover in this show, data science and machine learning, data engineering and architecture, AI, and the impact of each of these on businesses and companies. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and thank you for your support over the last few years. So welcome to the O'Reilly Data Show. I'm your host, Ben Lorca, here with my friend and colleague, Paco Nathan who leads our learning group here at O'Reilly, but is also the program chair of JupyterCon. And today we're doing something different. This is a milestone episode. This is our 100th episode. So I thought I'd ha- turn the wheel, uh, the uh, hosting duties over to Paco, and he can ask me questions about uh, this podcast in general. And so I'll turn it over to you, Paco. Thank you very much, Ben. Uh, fantastic. Okay, so... 100 episodes. I guess my first question is, how did this all start? So this started out, I believe, in uh, one of these O'Reilly events called Foo Camp, which is uh, Friends of O'Reilly. And uh, at Foo Camp, uh, our video crew had a uh, setup there. And so I kind of thought about, oh, we should start interviewing people here and start a YouTube video channel around interviews on data topics, right? So the O'Reilly Data Show. But then we soon realized video stuff, because especially the type of video that uh, we were shooting for, which was a high-quality video, that meant having to arrange for someone to go into a studio and scheduling that. And since our studios are in Boston and in Sebastopol, not the most convenient for people in the Bay Area. (laughs) So then at some point, someone pointed out to me the whole podcast medium. So then internally, I kind of... uh, asked people what they thought about podcasts. And so then we started doing the podcast and I loved it because I could uh, do it at home and, uh, and uh, remotely. And so, so does the guest. And so that's how, it, uh, how this happened. It started out as uh, aspirationally video, but then reality set in. And then it turned out actually we caught, we were just at the resurgence of the podcast wave. Good timing. Well, I mean, looking back at the list, uh, so this is going back into 2014, 2015? Probably, yeah, yeah. I would say so, late 2014, yeah. And I, I think also it's probably good to back up a little bit about Food Camp. This is, Food Camp's been going on for 12, going on 13 years now, I think. I think right around the dot-com bust. And, and so to give a little context on that, a lot of really interesting people get together for Food Camp. I imagine that's quite a captive audience to interview people. Yeah, so actually, when at that full camp, I just started grabbing people in the in the data space and started interviewing them right there and then. I, off the top of my head, I remember talking to Jay Kreps 
one of the creators of Kafka, and Ion Stoika, one uh, the co-director of AppLab at the time, the lab that originated Apache Spark, Mesos, and Alexio. And now, of course, he directs Rice Lab, which is at the forefront of reinforcement learning with Ray. So I just grabbed them. We did it. And some of the early episodes were actually video, which we converted to audio. Ah, excellent. Well, I mean, looking through the list here, this is this is like a timeline of the development of big data, data science, machine learning, uh, the whole trajectory going into AI. So it, it, this has been supporting for the Strata Conference as well as the AI Conference. Uh, was there, were there any other events along with that? Uh, actually, we, we started out, we just wanted to talk to interesting people in uh, the general areas of data science, machine learning, and big data uh, distributed systems. And now, of course, AI. But it turned out that uh, a lot of the interesting peoples are people who speak at our events. So that's kind of the natural tie-in with the events. So yeah, so our focus has mainly been in those areas. I think the people who aren't necessarily technology people off the top of my head, there was David Epstein who wrote a book called The Sports Gene. So he's a kind of a sports writer, but he really writes at the intersection of sports and science. Yeah, so most mostly... Tech people, uh, just because those are the people that I naturally uh, know. And so it's easy for me to set up an interview with them. And it turns out that many of the people who created these projects are people actually you and I already know anyway. Well, I'm really curious, too. Uh, to what extent have you had surprises? I, I mean, I'm sure a lot of these folks are doing very interesting things. It, it's hard to keep in touch and catch up with everybody all the time. So I can imagine there have been some pretty interesting surprises along the way. Yeah. So one of the interesting, uh, Surprises was actually an anecdote told to me by David Bly, who is uh, best known for the topic model, particularly when he was in grad school. He was the lead author on a paper on latent Dirichlet allocation, which was basically the first topic model for those people who use it for uh, unsupervised learning and text mining. So he said that uh, he basically told me the story of how that first paper came about, which was a conversation between him and his fellow student at that time, Andrew Ong, they were both students of Mike Jordan, and he had just come back from uh, a summer internship, and he was uh, describing what he was working on to Andrew, and Andrew made a suggestion on a napkin in a coffee shop in Berkeley, and then one thing led to another, and that's this very, very widely cited paper, which then, of course, uh, led to a, a lot of other different algorithms uh, that implemented kind of the, their original idea. LDA, wow, fantastic. So over the past three years then, actually, what, this is going on four years. I'm, I'm curious about the kind of themes that you've seen emerging. Like right now, and we're at AI New York uh, 2018. What are the kind of themes that you're seeing come out of the episodes that are you know, helping you see how this, this is all shaping up in the industry? So we, so the early episodes were a mix of people that, you fall under either the big data infrastructure or data science and machine learning. And so in the early episodes, you would have people talking about some of the key projects that we've come to rely on, right? So Kafka, Spark, yeah, and uh, real-time streaming systems. But there were also early episodes around uh, machine learning, but those uh, episodes tended not to mention deep learning yet, right? So I actually don't remember when... uh, I think uh, the whole uh, deep learning uh, conversation for me at least started around probably, I would say, 
around March maybe of 2014 because I had met uh, Ilya Sutskever. He was one of uh, Jeff Dean's students, so he's part of AlexNet, the AlexNet paper. So he gave a talk in a meetup in uh, San Francisco. And so he, he started talking about, uh, you know, the breakthroughs that they saw in computer vision. But at that uh, particular talk, he, he first described what we now refer to as uh, word embeddings, right? So these word to vec. So they, they were fr- fairly new at the time. You know, I mean, I've had, uh, I've had people from a variety of, uh, backgrounds as well, graph databases, uh, data management systems. And, you know, I mean, I would say the early focus was around the topic of, you know, we, we know we want to collect data. So what's the right infrastructure and architecture for collecting data? And then I think more recently, the more, the focus has been more on, on machine learning and analytics. So now that we have the data in place, I think for the most part, I don't know how you feel, but at Strata, I think a lot of people have some sort of data infrastructure in place. They're, they're refining it. They're adding data science and collaboration among data scientists, but now they're, they're taking that next step of uh, uh, doing machine learning besides just uh, simple BI. Well, how about too, it, it, it seems like I mean, there's a lot of emphasis on frameworks, getting the right kind of frameworks in place to build that infrastructure. But more and more, I, I see talks being proposed. It's use cases. It's like they're going after a very specific kind of vertical. They know that field and they know how to leverage it. And, and cloud, right? So I think, I think uh, in the early days, uh, people kind of, the focus was on uh, individual frameworks. And then, uh, and then how do we piece together these frameworks to, uh, to do a data platform, kind of a stack? Each level of the stack, you have net multiple choices, right? So many projects. But now with cloud computing, I think uh, it's easier for people to get going. And a lot of people are a lot more open to using even managed services. It's, it's like a smorgasbord. You, you go to a cloud vendor and they've got everything possibly that you want. Yeah. You just piece it together. Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, you know, and then uh, the question is, uh, it's easier for us to get going. But at what point do we make some of these hard decisions as to whether or not should we keep going on the cloud, bring it back? And if we're on the cloud, should we run our favorite framework or just use a managed service? Right. right? So, for example, for stream processing, every cloud vendor has their own stream processing uh, uh, framework. But maybe we should stick with open source just in, so that we remain cloud neutral in many ways. And, you know, over the years, I've also had people talk about culture, you know, so like uh, building data teams. And I think I've had you... Yeah. Uh, talk about uh, these topics. And then more recently, there's more focus on uh, uh, privacy and ethics. Oh, getting on to like and, social issues. Yeah, yeah, and control. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of interest in AI. So I'm, I'm getting more people on the podcast talking about not just AI techniques, but uh, AI, let's say AI in the enterprise, right? So how should I think about this, uh, uh, this set of technologies and uh, how should I find the use case, right? So how, sh- how can I identify uh, tasks that can be automated? Well, one thing about that history, I mean, I, I feel a little guilty calling four years history, but it really is in this kind of fast-moving technology. But I, I'm curious, uh, 2013 is when the, the AlexNet paper was 2013? So maybe like 2012, before. maybe. Well, okay. Um, so this is right after the cusp there. At what point did people start talking about AI? I think that probably maybe 20, the word AI really became maybe more mainstream in my mind, maybe around 20, 
late 2015 or maybe even early 2016 towards and going into 2017, mostly around deep learning. So right now, I think for many people, machine learning is AI, right? So I'm trying to kind of in, in the AI conference kind of convince people that the, uh, a true AI system will involve many components, machine learning being one. And so I, I, you know, many of the guests I have seem to uh, agree with that. And, uh, you know, with machine learning being an important uh, component of AI, right now, at least among uh, machine learning people, uh, deep learning is is the preferred method. So along the way, I actually had uh, the creators of some of the popular deep learning frameworks like uh, um, uh, TensorFlow, PyTorch, BigDL. Right uh, and uh, MXNet, uh, so so clear clearly to me that the deep learning is probably going to be something that people outside of the tech companies will start engaging in. But you know we're we're also trying to uh, educate people about uh, other components of an AI system, say uh, reinforcement learning or knowledge and graphs, right? So a knowledge database or graphs domain knowledge, maybe seeding your AI system with some uh, knowledge base. And uh, when you get to the kind of the uh, really f- automated AI systems, the importance of simulation platforms, right? So for self-driving, for self-driving cars, that, that has come up. And then hardware. Some, some of the guests have started bringing up the importance of hardware and sensors, sensor fusion. The idea being that... Uh, an AI system will probably have multiple sensors for you know for a variety of reasons, including redundancy, right? So if 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 a set of sensors fail in your self-driving car, <laughs> you want a backup system, right? Yeah. Well, it it does seem like there is much more of a theme emerging about streaming, about about kind of real time. Um, as we were saying, the simulations to support uh, reinforcement learning. So it seems like there's another shift coming up where we're not just doing reports, we're actually doing very uh, real-world kind of robotic, physical interactive uh, intelligent devices. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, the yeah, exactly. And the notion that the, in the classic machine learning, the, in the supervised learning scenario where you have a problem, you have labeled data, you train, and then you train it as batch, and then you deploy, right? But now in, in some of these AI systems, uh, it, you know, maybe have the notion of exp- exploration and agent exploring an environment uh, and, and, and learning, yeah. right? So continuous learning, right? So learning from, uh, from its exploration. So w- which is where kind of some of these techniques around reinforcement learning come true. But I think, uh, I, I think you're right in the sense that, uh, People have are starting to uh, realize that some of this infrastructure that we built for uh, uh, real time BI, say you know counts and simple anomaly detection, will uh, come into play when we when uh, we do have AI systems that need to ingest data in a in a streaming. Well, another thing that sticks out too, taking a look through the list um, over the past hundred episodes, has there been an uptick for say, enterprise applications? Yeah, I think so. I think that uh, it's just the nature of these technologies, right? So you're an industry veteran. Yeah. You you start out with a set of technologies. Let's say, for example, Spark. You were one of the first uh, uh, people teaching people how to use Spark, right? So in the early days, it's really uh, 
bleeding edge companies and tech companies and, yeah. and and now it's a lot more mainstream i think as the same thing is happening not just in infrastructure but also in analytics so so people started out with uh, uh, business intelligence and dashboards then they started doing some simple uh regression and now maybe they're doing a little more sophisticated things including uh deep learning people are dipping their toes what uh what are the kind of verticals that you're seeing right now in ai i guess if we if you take a snapshot right now where are the interesting trouble spots that people are are getting some successes out of ai with so i i would say so the the so in the uh pure machine learning sense of ai right so outside of the normal data sets that people tackle in the enterprise you've got the obvious uh, uh, applications now of computer vision because uh, that 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 the applications of computer vision seem to multiply by the day right so and then there's also uh, there's also the influence of some of these techniques from deep learning into machine learning systems that people already have in place say recommenders and forecasting platforms so people uh, may have had this in place but now they're uh, kind of examining is there something that deep learning allows us to do does it allow us to incorporate data sets and data types that we didn't have before and then i think we're still in the very early days of of some of these other techniques like reinforcement learning in the enterprise right so i think for for that particular set of techniques where uh you need a lot of data right so because uh, basically you have the scenario of an agent interacting with an environment and learning how to uh behave in that environment uh some of the uh initial use cases appear to be in uh, uh industrial automation where you have a lot of uh data to work with and then uh, i'm starting to have people talk about things like hardware and and even uh sensors for self-driving cars because i'm just I, I kind of want to get people into the mindset that an AI system will depend on developments in many fields, not just machine learning, even UX, right? Yeah, definitely the design side of it. Um, how about, I haven't seen as much about, say, planning systems. Or I guess there's some scheduling. Yeah, not yet. Yeah, yeah. I'm try- yeah. It ju- I think that uh, part of that is just uh, the people right now that I'm running into aren't talking about those systems yet. So uh, I, I hope to have my good friend Ben Reck in one of these uh, future episodes. He was here in the past talking about something else, but he's lately been uh, writing a series of posts around reinforcement learning. And uh, I, you know, I want to get him on the on uh, this podcast to talk about what he's been up to, which is basically, you know, uh, from his perspective, uh, reinforcement learning is going to be uh, essential to many of these AI systems. And if that's the case, maybe we should examine some of these other methods besides neural uh, deep learning, right? So deep reinforcement learning is kind of right now what people associate with reinforcement learning. So Ben is uh, mapping some of these reinforcement learning problems in a way that uh, they lend themselves to uh, methods from optimal control or dynamical systems. So so by at, by incorporating a little knowledge and structure, you can generalize and you you have error bars and estimates for how these systems will behave in the wild. So so a lot more control over how robust a system is or risk management or... Yeah, because after all, these methods uh, in optimal control are used to fly planes. Right, right? exactly. <laughs> the things you care about. 
You know, something else that strikes me, when we look at how technology evolves in other areas or maybe other other periods of time, you often, people will talk about uh, disruption, displacement, one generation of technology wipes out the previous. But from what you're describing there, that's not so much the case with AI. It's more like uh, maybe companies have built out some real-time infrastructure for security, and now they're finding that they can start to use that for manufacturing. Well, the, I think there are pieces of the infrastructure that have changed during the course of this uh, podcast, right? So, for example, I think that uh, in the early days of the podcast, many of the people that you and I uh, interacted with, basically, uh, one of the essential things in their infrastructure was Hadoop. Right. Yeah. So, and yeah. uh, I think that's still the case, although p- there there are more alternatives these days. Right. So uh, I think the a lot of people are going to object stores in the cloud. And so so that's an example. So and then uh, before people had the philosophy of having specialized systems, there's still there's still that. But people are trying to see maybe we can combine some of these systems or or. uh Come up with systems that can do more than one workload. So, for example, this whole notion in Spark of being able to do batch and streaming. Oh, okay. Right. So, simplifying your architecture, uh, recognizing the fact that if you really want, if you if streaming become gets to the point where you really need l- super low latency, well, then you bring in a specialized uh, framework at that point. But maybe for a majority of your so-called real-time workloads, maybe. Uh, Spark streaming uh, will be good enough. And that seems to have played out in many ways because I think a lot of people, I would say that uh, at this point, at least uh, from my conversation, at least I think a lot of people still use Spark streaming. So you can make an investment. Yeah, learning a technology, adopting a technology, you can make your investment in that and go longer and by, by adapting it for the different types of use cases that are evolving, that are becoming cost-effective for you. Yeah. And I think, you know, what it, it seems like, uh, at least in the tech space, right? So what are the lock-ins that you think about, right? So there's the, uh, network effects. There's data, right? So, but then one of the other lock-ins seems to be API, right? So if the API becomes widespread, then, uh, people are a little reticent to rip out a piece of uh, technology if they depend on it. So that's why people even uh, kind of Preserve an API and maybe change the underlying technology. Interesting. I mean, you're you're talking about Hadoop, and I did a lot of work with that. But I was just thinking, it's probably been almost five years since I've done anything directly in Hadoop. Yeah, but uh, I I think that uh, a lot of you know just the HDFS. I think there's still a lot of big companies that rely on it, right? But like I said, the object store seemed to, in my conversations, come up a lot these days. And it makes sense, too, with the kind of cloud. I mean, as far as being able to go to a big vendor where they've got that managed, you don't have to set that up. It seems like that's the harder part of some of these large-scale object stores. Yeah, and then, uh, so, I mean, speaking of which, right, as far as storage, it seems like that uh, people might, uh, there are companies that have multiple storage uh, formats, right? So they have Hadoop, they have an object store, they have a database, right? And then they have multiple computes, right? So Spark, whatever, uh, whatever else, right? So that middle layer, it's uh, there's a technology of a company that in an open source project that I'm involved with, but like Aluxia. So you need so what they provide is this middle layer where you can you can have 
uh, all your storage engines kind of uh, point to this uh, middle layer th- that sits between your storage resources and your compute resources. And, and that makes sense too with, with what's going on with hardware because now you get this other boost from much larger memory spaces and having multi-core, et cetera. But it's that hardware layer in between. You're not having to go across the network to hit your storage. You can do so much more in memory. One question I have also is, what have you seen changing as far as academia? I mean, it seems we see news stories now of million-dollar salaries for, for machine learning experts and people being grabbed directly out of school into uh, AI companies. Yeah, I think that, you know, I mean, uh, people who are in academia now are, particularly in computer science, are in a unique position that they, at least in the Bay Area, right? So at least in the Bay Area, the professors seem to have the ability to do both, right? So they can do research, the research turns into something interesting, they start a company, and then, uh, you know, they they get to experience that for a little while and then go back and then they start, they do it again, right? So but there's also a group of people who just love to interact with students on a regular basis and do research. But having said that, they also acknowledge that uh, at least in this space, where we are at this moment in time, this, uh, these systems require a lot of data and, and large amounts of data are right now in the private companies. So they spend time in private companies. So for example, one of my guests recently is uh, Tim Kroska, who's now at MIT. So he, he spent a sabbatical at, at Google and that, that has opened up a new avenue of research for him. Oh, famous learned in that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Around, uh, applying machine learning for data man to data management systems, right? So something that maybe possibly he could have done if he had just stayed in academia, but he wouldn't have had the ability to interact with uh, two different teams inside Google who who needed something like this. And their research, too, just had such a compelling point about um, how much better they were over, say, B-trees. Or, but they, they proved it with data. and They proved it at scale with data. They couldn't have gotten that outside of something like Google. Right. But then, uh, you know, so what did Tim do? He, he, he went back to academia. So now he's got this uh, relationship with people in industry. He can go back and forth. So, you know, uh, one other question about going back through the episodes, can you talk a bit about maybe some of the geographic distribution of this? Where where have the people been coming from? Is it shifting at all? Uh, so, I, I mean, so I think that uh, in the early days, a lot of slanted towards the Bay Area. And uh, I think Europe, part of it was the geographic footprint of the conferences that I'm involved with, which is uh, straticonf.com and theaiconf.com. And uh, I've also made a point of trying to get people to talk about what's happening in Asia and China, uh, because I think particularly f- uh, where we are right now, as I mentioned, we are in an era that's highly empirical when it comes to machine learning. And a lot of the systems that people are using require a lot of data. And so countries like China and India, you can have a startup company in China and say you run into people in China, they tell you, we don't have that many users yet. We're just a startup. We only have 40 million users. (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. Let's see. We're here at AI New York. And uh, what do you see as some of the interesting things coming out of the conference here? So like I said, so... uh, we try to be the conference that is the default gathering place for people who are interested in uh, applied AI. So 
So there are academic conferences, we, and I, I'm an ex-academic. I love, I, I love those events. But we're trying to uh, explain to people how some of these technologies might be relevant to them in the enterprise. With that said, that means we have to make sure that we cover all of the popular machine learning topics, particularly deep learning and the popular tools. But we try to do that with kind of the enterprise use cases and make sure that we cover those. But with that said, we also try to cover uh, topics that are bubbling up like reinforcement learning. Brain machine interface will have a keynote and a talk. We will have uh, one of the main uh, researchers in Bayesian machine learning, Zubin Garamani, who's uh, one of uh, Mike Jordan's former students. He's now at the University of Cambridge, but also is director of AI at Uber. So, and then uh, we have uh, Mark Hammond and Danny Lang, who are both interested in reinforcement learning, but are actually uh, have use cases and are applying applying it. So we're trying to we're trying to uh, get people to understand how the current set of technologies that revolve around deep learning are being used, but we're also trying to get them interested in what might be lying ahead in the future. From my conversation earlier today, I think the word practitioner was something that really kind of gave, gave a good summary of, of what the essence is here at these conferences. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. We, on... Yeah, we try to we try to have content, even, uh, frankly, Paco, even for uh, developers who may not have a strong machine learning background. Right. Right. So we have content for developers who don't come from machine learning or data. We have content for managers who are not technical, but we also have content for people who might want to know more detail. And, and see the latest, the absolute latest. Yes. Leading yeah, yeah, yeah. In. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Ben. You can reach out to me on Twitter at Big Data or to my colleague Paco Naden at Paco ID. Thank you for joining us. If you like the show, you can subscribe and rate us on iTunes or Stitcher or TuneIn.com or SoundCloud and never miss an episode.